Hey team, welcome to another episode of the Intentional Agribusiness Leader Podcast. The podcast where we actually explore the minds of leaders from all around the agriculture and agribusiness space about what it takes to lead intentionally in this industry today. My friends, if there's some value in here for you today, we ask you to subscribe to the podcast, share this with someone who needs to hear the message of what it takes to be intentional. Let's get into the show. Well, team, I am super excited today to have an amazing guest, somebody who I've looked up to in the agriculture industry for a long, long time. Uh, somebody who I've met at various events and uh, fraternity events and things like that around the industry, who has led at the highest echelons and consulted at the highest echelons of this industry. So super excited to have the wealth, the wealth of knowledge that uh, that you bring, Mike. So welcome to the Intentional Agribusiness Leader Podcast, Mike Burrell. Thank you. Happy to be here. Good to, good to have you on. I'm super excited about this. So our opening question for you today, Mike, is what, what does it mean to you to be intentional? Well, to me, it means having a purpose, uh, both overall and for each activity. So mm-hmm. and that's something that uh, I've, you know, I've subscribed to pretty much my entire life, and it's served me well. I love that. Very succinct. And so to, so to have a purpose overall, so something I'm striving for, something I'm striving toward, that is my reason for existing, um, something I'm pursuing, uh, and then for each for each activity. And I, I, what, what, what I love about that is, and, and this is part of the reason that I'm creating this podcast, is that the good many people that aren't intentional with a lot of things they do on a day-to-day basis. We're very blindly flowing through the day. Um, on autopilot sort of survival mode in many cases. And I suppose we all have those days, right? Uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to be intentional with the, with the various tasks and things like that that, we're, uh, that we have before us. So good. Uh, so, so Mike, as I, as I look around the industry, uh, you and I are both in, you know, consult sort of consulting types of, of roles. Uh, we get to look under the hoods of a lot of different organizations. And I know what you guys have built a context is is an incredible um just an incredible service to the industry. I don't talk more about that here in a little bit, but so what I find is many organizations, if not most, are struggling with talent retention. Um, so what uh, what are you guys let's, let's start with context. So what are you guys doing at context to uh, to be intentional about retaining the folks that you recruit, uh, whether they're contract or whether they're full-time employees? Well, we have pretty good luck with retention. Uh, it's not not perfect or 100% by sure. any As you can imagine, uh, consulting is a wonderful training ground, and you expose people to, to major companies, clients, all the time. <laughs> of course. When we lose somebody, we generally are losing them to a client. Mm-hmm. And and while we we hate you know losing an investment, we gen we look at it really as uh, as as getting emplaced in a client another supporter. Uh, we haven't parted companies in, in on bad terms with anyone, and uh, by and large we retain uh, of our employees. 
the, the things that really seem to make a big difference, both in attracting them and keeping them, uh, we offer flexibility in location. Mm-hmm. You can live pretty much where you want to live. Uh, there are situations where uh, we'll want you in an office for a couple of years to kind of get fully up to speed, but uh, but certainly after that, you're completely flexible. Uh, so we support that. We work from home. We offer unlimited comp time to our employees. So they're putting in a bunch of time on something. They they can add up the extra and and take that off when they want to. We've got a steady stream of exciting projects. That probably should have been the first thing I mentioned. Sure. Yeah. Intellectual stimulation is off the chart, and uh, and that that's exciting. <clears throat> it's hard to hard to miss that. I've loved my corporate career and, uh, and, you know, wouldn't trade it for anything. But now that I know what, uh, what's possible when I'm working for myself. Yeah. Wouldn't go back either. Of course. The other uh, thing you have clear metrics. I think that's important. Uh, you, people have to know how's their performance going to be measured. Uh, ideally a, a mechanism where they can, measure themselves they're not completely reliant on somebody else telling them how they're doing or <clears throat> or what the scorecard might say so so that that's what i'd say would be how we both attract and retain mm-hmm. uh, and uh and we've got a, a pretty strong strong record on that yeah absolutely uh, i love what you brought up there at the end about clear metrics and you know i I spend a bulk of my time currently anyway working in 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 the ag retail channel with with various clients and that's one of the things that we're constantly trying to help people work on is defining what does success look like so that we actually can mark some sort of progress what are the what are the lead not just the lagging indicators of success but the leading indicators of success as well which often goes overlooked we're usually measuring reactively versus proactively Leading is so important, but also it, it's it's sometimes a challenge to figure <laughs> what those leading indicators are. Right. Someday, Mark, I'm going to write a book uh, titled uh, "It's About Doing What's Easy Not to Do." Sure. And I think you know that's one of the. It's easy not to do the leading indicators. It's easy to take the lagging ones but it's not nearly as effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So you mentioned um, loving your corporate career. Tell us just a little bit about that. Let's divert from the the standard questions and just, you know, share us a little, share a little bit about your background. How did you come up to this place and then, and then transition to context? Well, okay. The uh, I'll try to give the reader's digest version. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm an Iowa farm kid. I joined DuPont right out of college uh, and and had a litany of roles uh, and and each one more challenging than the one before, uh, each one probably faster than I necessarily would have designed it for myself, but always kept me challenged. And uh, and I did various things, the, including uh, I had the opportunity to manage uh, Australasia, Southeast Asia, out of Sydney, Australia, for for four years. Mm, wow! Transferred to Paris, where I was responsible for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And and those were my first 
general management jobs. And I just fell in love with it. Uh, mm-hmm. to have all the levers and, and really make a difference. Wow. And, uh, I had a, I just really had a fantastic career with DuPont. And one of the toughest decisions I ever made was leaving DuPont. Well, you know, you, you regularly get, uh, recruiters, uh, calling up and, and frankly, I just was never really interested. I had a great career there, et cetera, but, uh, I, I got to a point where I was ready for the next challenge. Uh, and, uh, and I had, had a call that I said, okay, I'll, I'll talk about it. And when I, when I really got into it, I said, you know, look, this is not, this one's not for me. Uh, but they, they said, well, look, we've got something else cooking that I think really would, would trip your trigger. Can we call you again? I said, well, sure. If you got something a lot better. Well, they did. And, and, uh, and so I was recruited by Sumitomo. I took the job. I had uh, North America and South America uh, responsibility for them. And, and that was a, it was a great job. And during that time, I led the acquisition of the Abbott egg specialty business which became their global biologicals business. And that folded under my responsibility for a couple of years as well. But ultimately, uh, they needed to do some things that that I was absolutely convinced on. They were not absolutely convinced on. And and we decided, I I gave an ultimatum and, and, and they called my bluff and I left. And literally, I started, uh, I, I really was looking for the next C-level job and started consulting really so that I didn't have to be in a hurry. And, uh, and I fell in love with it. And I, I was fortunate that I got traction immediately. And uh, uh, interesting, perhaps, looking at all the different things you do, Mark. So, so the things that really made a difference for me in corporate America were I was really good at strategy. And I was really good at leadership. So I hung out my shingle to offer, you know, strategy development, consulting, and leadership coaching and development. Well, all the traction came in strategy. None of the, I got nothing in the leadership arena. So pretty soon I dropped that part. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And shortly after I started this, you know, my own, sole proprietorship business. Uh, Trey Thomas, who had Context Network, and Steve Hawkins, who had his own uh, practice. Uh, uh, we decided to merge the three of us and make make Context Network a multi-partner firm. And so we did that. Okay. And I'd like to say the rest is history. Yeah. It's, and it's fascinating now. And you guys have grown so much. I've sort of watched from the side, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, outside the fishbowl looking in <laughs> and there's, there's so many people, so many of my favorite people in agriculture actually are, are part of your network. You know, how, how many partners and how many, what's the, what's the broad scope if you can give me some idea. Absolutely. So there's 12 of us share the ownership, 12 partners. Uh, there's the just over 70 full-time dedicated people. Mm-hmm. Wow. That there's over 200 part-time industry experts in in one either sector or function or region or some matrix of that uh, Hmm. on that part-time basis. Um, 
it's and, and we're global. Uh, North America is our largest region, but it's less than half of the total. So wow, incredible. It's very and and running a professional just a professional training and coaching firm. I mean, that's the very narrow slice of what's possible in the consulting arena. Uh, I can attest how challenging it is to build something like that and keep people together and keep everything thriving because project work comes and goes, right? Some of it's reoccurring, very little of it is recurring unless you have certain types of contracts. And so you're, you guys are working hard to, to make a big influence in the industry. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so while you're doing that, I'm sure you get to take a look uh, at the various cultures in in all the different businesses that there are around this space in agribusiness. So uh, culture is a nice buzzword. A lot of people talk about it. I find very few are are really intentional with actually creating it. Um, so what what from your perspective, what what's the most important thing when it comes to building an intentional business culture? My my personal belief and experience is that making it safe to every uh, to share their views, their thoughts, their experiences is the most important element of culture you can have. And a saying that I have used and continue to use is that, look, all thoughts and perceptions are friendly if shared. Mm. If, if you if you share them and, and it's something that needs attention and nothing happens, well, then that's bad. But mm-hmm. the sharing, the information is a gift. Mm-hmm. And look at it that way. And, and if people feel and, and experience that they can be absolutely safe sharing what they think, what they feel, what, what they see, uh, that, in my opinion, really helps develop a trust a trust and trust is the most important element in culture mm-hmm. yeah wonderful one you know i just want to riff on this a little bit mike because when i in in the in the so we do a lot of coaching and over, over ten thousand hours of coaching hours logged since 2014 when we first started doing it just virtual coaching across many coaches and we sit back we talk about what are the different things that come up um, what are, uh, what are the challenges? How do we overcome? What resources do we need to provide? What additional training or coaching or whatever? One of the biggest coaching issues consistently, uh, is, you know, something like whatever I, 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 I stuck my neck out and, you know, sort of whatever, got my head cut off and got my hand slapped. I tried to bring up something to my boss, right. And it either wasn't listened to, it wasn't respected, Again and again, just the other day, I, I probably spent 45 minutes of an hour call just listening to a group of salespeople complain about their national sales manager <laughs> and how he hasn't been out to see them and they're not running any programs and they're not and they're not motivated to get up and go do, right? And so my response is just go sell. Like <laughs> That's your job. Go do your thing. Um, that's part of the response, but you also have to hear people out. And so often we end up getting used as the safe space because there's no negative consequence to sharing, but that doesn't necessarily solve problems internally, right? So why do you think, I mean, is, is it, well, first of all, I want to pick this part. Is this, is this a failure of leadership or is this a failure of courage of people not willing to step up and, and just speak their mind regardless of what's going on? From your years of experience, what, how, do you, how do you trace this back to the root? 
It, it's a it's a great question, and in my opinion, it's a combination of of both of those things, and probably other others as well. Um, it I, human nature is mm. uh, that you know it's not easy to give uh, direct feedback. It's not easy to to really call out the elephant in the room. Yeah, uh, it, and so a lot of it doesn't happen because of personal discomfort uh, around it. I, I think that's a, a really big part of it. The, uh, but, but that, that completely gets in the way of making it, in, making it better in the future. Right. We have this, this climate where, where it's safe. Now, what you just described as this kind of vent session uh, yeah, you you have to do that, but boy, I I want to limit that. I want I I want to get that transition to well, how do we make it better? How? Okay, it's an issue. We can whinge about it for hours, but that's not going to change it. So how are we going to change it? And and sometimes it it involves a really direct conversation with one or more individuals. Sometimes it requires changing individuals in a position. Mm -hmm. Willing to do all those things. Yeah. From a, if I'm thinking about, you know, you know, the CEOs or the senior vice presidents, you know, the highest level or the chiefs, you know, the chiefs of the, uh, of the industry, um, how much of the culture ought to be driven there versus maybe at the mid level of an organization um, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I know everybody gets to experience it and everybody's responsible for their own piece of it. As far as driving change and, and saying, hey, this is the, these, these are the standards that we uphold. This is how it is around here. This is how we keep it safe. This is how we measure certain metrics and keep people accountable and things like that. So what, is, there a, is there a place for, in your opinion, where it's more important than others? That's a good question. My my personal opinion is you can never expect better behavior of people reporting to you than you demonstrate yourself. So, in my opinion, starting at the top is the best place for it to be. Now, that said, some of it depends a little bit on the size of the organization and the proximity of the top person to, you know, to everyone. So, so I think you can influence uh, this in a major way from, from almost any place in an organization, mm -hmm. but the very best place for, for it to be demonstrated the way it should be is at the top. Now I can tell you, in my career, I've had I've had some really great leaders, managers that that you know were great role models. I've had a few that were just abysmal, terrible, and and you learned from them what not to do. And but but you don't stop, right? A leader that's not demonstrating. The right kind of behavior and culture. Mm -hmm. You demonstrate the right kind, and and you do your best to 
segment off that person because it's no, you're not the only one that's going to have noticed this. Right, right. You're trying to make the change. Complaining about it to others isn't going to help at all. In fact, it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. But you model the right behavior. You uh, work toward change. And ultimately, those people, they won't last. It just, now, I've wished that not lasting would have happened quicker in a case or two. But ultimately, it was true. Yeah. 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 I, I think for most people, I mean, regardless of where you're at in the organization or or if you're in a position in an organization where maybe you don't have the highest levels of positional authority and you don't pull the budget, you know, don't you don't hold the, the, the purse strings to the budget, don't get to, to you know determine what always gets um incentivized or not incentivized or called out or not called out. Um I think it's important to, at least for me, I want to know, am I doing, am I doing the best job that I know that I can at my role, given whatever the situation is? So even if I have a bad boss, right. Or a leader who I don't enjoy working for, uh, as long as, I mean, and, and this is where a lot of people get really messed up in their head, their mindsets really start to go sideways. And this is where attrition starts to become really rampant, right? Because if, if somebody's having a bad day with their employer and they feel like there's nothing they can do to solve for this, then, and then as soon as that recruiter calls and offers an extra five or 10,000 a year, it's very tempting. <laughs> so, but I think, you know, to me, it becomes incumbent upon leaders to, to do a better job of becoming more intentional about building the cultures. And that's part of the reason that we're creating this podcast and putting it out to the agribusiness space is to, is to call more leaders up to be more intentional about the cultures, the spaces that they're creating for their people to work in. Um, one of the things uh, that I've said over the years is that I believe that leaders have a moral obligation to create a space within which people uh, uh, have the opportunity to thrive. I, I like, said that. I agree. I, yeah. So uh, Dan, uh, Danny Meyer, who uh, the CEO, founder of uh, Shake Shack and a number of other restaurant, you know, enterprises. Um, I, I saw him once at Tony Robbins and he uh, he described culture. Uh, he said, culture is like raising a newborn baby. You, ha you have to feed it 10 or 12 times a day. And when it craps its pants, you damn well better do something about it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so moving on. So for, for you, Mike, what's been your, over the years, what's your, if you could pick one, what's in your, what's been your biggest win as a leader? Oh, I've been blessed. I, I don't, I don't think I could pick one. I'd probably talk about my children being adults, making a positive difference, raising great children. Um, uh, probably at the top, uh, but, uh, Gee, taking the Australia business uh, for DuPont from number 12 to number two and in a very short time was was in having the team just be so energized and exceeding the expectations of everyone but themselves was a real turn on. Mm -hmm. uh, growing the valent business in spite of Roundup Ready Crops. Uh, I came in there in 1995 and, uh, and the prognosis was that their portfolio was just going to be crucified and the company was going to be crucified but that didn't happen we we were able to do something else uh, also have 
I've been putting 30% of my time into, into uh, volunteer work, uh, literally for the last 23 years. And, uh, and I'm pretty proud of the fact that one of my, those passions are wildlife conservation and youth in agriculture, those two areas. So the youth, that's FFA and Alpha Gamma Rho, but the wild sheep uh, in my lifetime, we've helped North American wild sheep recover from roughly 3,000 in 1973 to over 200,000 today and growing. Really? Wow, that's fascinating. That's more of an answer than you were looking for, but but uh, those are things that come come top of mind to me. Yeah. Why is why is giving so important to you? I just think it's the right thing to do. Um, now, it's interesting that I made this conscious choice about the percentage of time, and and. Uh, and it was a percentage that I felt like, okay, I can sustain this. I suspect that no one around me in my work life will even notice that that I'm given 30% of my time to something else. Mm-hmm. That's been true. And most people who know me know my passions and know I'm doing things there. But, but in 23 years, nobody said, well, you know, Mike, Kind of looks like you're slacking here a little bit. Are you putting too much time into those things? No, nobody's ever said that. Sure. And I don't think anyone ever will because I don't think I don't think you'd notice. Now it helps, Mark, that I love work. I love work. I love being busy. I love being challenged. I love thinking about the next thing. So. Hmm. Wow. Well, that's the measurable impact, right? Of being involved with something that's taken a group. Uh, I mean, what, 3,000 sheep that were left? Yeah. 3,000 to over 200,000. I mean, that's, uh, I don't even have the mental power to do the the multiple <laughs> on that. But that's, I mean, that that's fantastic. And to be able to be involved with that by being intentional with your giving, right? And yeah. yeah. Be clear. This didn't happen just because of me alone by any by any stretch. Yeah, it's a fun fraternity that I I enjoy. Yeah, well, I mean, just being able to be involved with um with 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 the giving. Christine and I are really big on this. So what that so when we when we put together, um, we're we're both self employed. <clears throat> when we put together our personal goals, our leading indicators our leading indicator is how much do we get to give this year? Mm. So this is like, our focus is on if, if we know that we're able to donate, let's say a hundred thousand dollars this year, that means that we did a million dollars in business because we had the 10% with appropriate margins and we ran the business correctly so that we had, so we were capable of doing that. So everything is based off of that number as opposed or a number or a number like that, as opposed to <clears throat> something else. Right. Um, and then even like down to, to the day. So the first fruits of the day, and I talk about this a lot with client with our with our clients and in personal coaching about how to how to how do we create more certainty. My recipe for creating more personal certainty is when you know I wake up and I drink a bunch of water <laughs> to hydrate the body. Uh, I spend a little time. I'll have a cup of coffee while I read a chapter out of my my one year you know study Bible. <clears throat> and when I do those three things, 
And I'm not going to say I, I don't I don't hit this every single day, so I'm not perfect. But what, on the days that I do, when I do that, I have much more certainty as I go throughout the day. So when uh, right before right before you and I got on, a, a significant deal got pulled, right? Cut you know cost us a few multiple five figures, <laughs> and so that triggers you. I mean that doesn't not that never feels good when something goes backwards, right? Uh, but I have the certainty. I'm like, I know I'm going to be okay. We'll bounce back. We've been there before. We'll do it again. And it's just those little, like those le- little leading indicators, but we call it the first fruits. So it's the first fruits of the day where we're giving that time to study to God, to be able to, you know, to be in that space. And then we try to practice that with our money. And, and this is, uh, it's, a, a, you know, for us, a lifetime of learning and then coming together and being intentional about what, what we want to create right in our lives. And so last couple of questions uh before I fully run out of time with you here. What's what is what tips do do you have for for somebody that wants to maybe maximize their productivity throughout the day? You you seem like a fairly healthy guy. Seems like you keep your stuff in order. Every time I see you, you look strong, you know. So what is uh, what 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 do you do to kind of keep your your productivity high as someone who loves to work, as someone who loves to give and be intentional? Yeah. Well, uh I think you need to have a plan and you need to know what you want to want to or need to accomplish. And, and I think you have to do that daily, or at least in my experience, I need to do that daily. And I generally like to do it, you know, in the, in the later, later in the day, the day before I want to make, I want to know what it is I need to get done. And and some of it will be things I need to respond to, et cetera. But a piece of that's going to be, you know, what am I doing looking forward? You know from being in a service business that if if you're always working on work that's in your hands, pretty soon that'll finish <laughs> and you're not going to have what's going to fill it in later. So if you're not putting attention, energy in every week, uh, to getting new business, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna miss out, and and I'm fortunate that I'm past that, you know that highs and lows, that peaks and troughs, which I think just about everybody in a in one of these businesses feels, until you get, you know, kind of large enough with a big enough span and a and a staff, et cetera, you can really smooth those out, and I'm at that point. It's a nice place to be. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's. I don't think it's. This is another one of those things. It's easy not to do, but it's so important to do. Have a plan. Make notes. I check off stuff too. You know, I get it done. I think it's an X. You know, hey, all right, yay. Yeah, yeah. Our brains like that little hit of dopamine that comes with the. <laughs> <laughs> it's addicting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, if uh, what what book or books would you recommend that have made a big impact on you? The uh, so so I've been a voracious reader my whole life. Now I was a really voracious reader uh, on on business, on strategy, on marketing for a whole lot of years that really got started when I had a planning job in DuPont. And, uh, and, and, and I'm thankful for that. 
the picking one out would be kind of hard, but uh, James Autry, uh, The Art of Love and Profit, is a book that that I would recommend to anybody as it's not a long read, it's but it it just kind of grabs your your heart, tells you, talks real, uh, talks about threads and connections and doing what's easy not to do. That those are my words, not his, but but I think that's a good one. Uh, on current books, frankly, I'm not, I haven't, I still read a lot. I haven't I haven't read anything recently that just completely blew me away to recommend. But uh, but it's important to keep reading. It's important to keep up with uh, with the gurus uh, of the industry. I like strategy particularly, so that's always going to be something that I I follow. Uh, leadership's also important to me, but but honestly, that's less important in my current role than than strategy would be. Of course, of course. Well, we will uh, we'll we'll make sure we link up that recommendation. We'll find it on Amazon and link it up in the show notes so that people can get access to that. And I have actually not heard of that one, so I'm going to take a look at <clears throat> take a look at that one myself. Like it. Good. All right, uh, Mike. Any last thoughts uh, as far as um, sharing what it means to be an intentional leader before we close it down? And then, by all means, please let us know how we can uh, how companies can look up context and get in touch with you. Yeah, I, I'm. I can't think of anything else particularly. I, I would applaud you for doing this. Uh, I've been fascinated watching you and your your career, your communication, your development over time, and this this seems like a very appropriate and meaningful and impactful next step. I love it. So thank you. I, I, if there's any way I can be helpful to you. You know, going forward, you know, all you have to do is ask. Um, Very good. Much appreciated. All right. Let's, uh, well, Mike, thank you for being, for, for taking the time out of your day to do the interview. Be a part of the uh, the the inaugural season here of the Intentional Agribusiness Leader podcast. My, my hope is that, you know, people take uh, bits and pieces from these interviews with people like you, people that have been around the industry and, and really had a lot of influence over people. Uh, and just be more intentional. <laughs> so thank you. Right. I hope today's episode brought you a great deal of value about what it takes to lead life and lead in this industry with intention. If you want to go deeper on the topic of leading with intention, I encourage you to head on over to intentionaltoolbox.com and get the seven free tools that will help you to lead your life in all areas with a greater deal of intention. That's intentionaltoolbox.com. And finally, if, if this message resonated today, if there's something in here that you got value from, I promise you there's someone else in your life who also would get value from this. So please share the episode, share the podcast, and make sure that you subscribe.